Father, this morning, once again, we come to your feet, Lord. One place, the right place for us to be seated. At your feet, to hear of you, to learn of you, and to know you, Father. Truly, Father, your word says, the earth is your footstool. That's where we are, Lord, seated at your feet. Speak to us. Teach us today, Lord. Teach us. Teach us, Father, that we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of good, of God, Lord. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We first turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Familiar verse. Chapter 6 and verse 18. I'll read the NIV version. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Okay. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Okay, well, you see, I know it's very familiar verse, but um, we're looking at uh, the two things actually God asks us to continuously do. One is to pray without ceasing, and the other is, I liked what uh, Brother Cyril said uh, yesterday. God doesn't ask us to read the Bible all the time. It's almost will be impossible. Okay, but He tells us to meditate. Meditate upon the Word day and night. Meditate is something which we all do. You are all uh, into meditation. <laughs> meditation is what is actually in your mind, what you are thinking on. And God actually tells us to think the way He thinks. Okay, it's not just memorizing scripture. It's not reading scripture. You can memorize scripture, you can read scripture and think in your own ways. Okay, that's, that's why you see one of the reasons Christians really, really struggle is they haven't learned to think the way God thinks. See, even when you're sleeping, you dream. And when you dream, you dream according to the way you think. Other than the dreams which God or the enemy tries to put in over there. Okay, other than that, so the subconscious mind is also working. But God says, think the way I think. That's what meditation does. Okay, that's the whole thing. The whole idea of reading scripture, hearing the word, memorizing scripture is to learn to think the way God thinks. Okay, the way God thinks. So here, two things are said. One, it is about uh, prayer here. To pray always, all kinds of prayers, okay, all kinds of prayers, but to pray without ceasing. And to meditate, let us say, use the same term, without ceasing. So we call today, or the times when we gather like this once a month, as fasting and prayer. <coughs> Remember, there's nothing great about fasting unless losing weight, okay, there's nothing great about it. And cleansing your system, a natural thing which fasting does. But fasting is always an aid to pray. It's a very powerful aid to pray because fasting is the way you actually humble yourself and uh, you you shut down your flesh, 
Okay, so fasting is an aid. If you're fasting without uh, without praying, it's just uh, with everybody it does. It, it doesn't have much uh, help to the spirit or to the soul. But let's come back to prayer today. If you really want to see the importance of prayer in a believer's life, you actually have to read, uh, of all books, the book of Judges. Okay, The book of Judges is a, actually a very clear reflection of a natural state of a Christian or a Christian community. The normal, not the normal Christian like Watchman Nee talked about, that is the normal but we are talking about in the carnal, worldly sense, a normal Christian. Okay, If you have to see what it is a normal Christian in the worldly sense or a normal Christian community is not like what we see in the book of Acts, but the way people go down in their faith. So you will see what we see in the book of Judges, a cycle. You see all that different judges coming in, what happens to the children of Israel. But in terms of prayer... I want you to look at a few things, okay? And you see this cycle, you know, mark it in your Bible. You will see that, you know, I have marked it in my Bible, okay? If you turn to chapter 3 of the book of Judges, okay? The Israel, I will read from the simple version in Ivy, okay? The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served Baal and Asherahs, Okay? That's what happened. You do, we do evil when we forget our God. Okay. And what did the Lord do? The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So he sold them into the hands of Kushan Rishithim, the king of Aram. So he hands over their, them to their enemies. This is so important for us to understand in the physical realm what is happening to Israel. Is that Israel is God's promised land. They turn their face away from God. They start serving other gods. God hands them over to their physical enemies. Physical enemies. Today what happens to us, we are not handed over to our physical enemies because we are not living like in a promised land with enemies all around. He hands us over to our spiritual enemies. And we become slaves of anger, slaves of lust, slaves of jealousy, slaves of uh, pursuing this world. Okay? And uh, that's what happens. But look at verse 9. When they cried out to the Lord, chapter 3. Yeah, we read 7, now we are looking at verse 9. I don't know what's happening with the sound system, okay? Yeah. 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 No, no, chapter 2. I'm talking about chapter 3 and verse 9. Judges, chapter 3, 9, okay? When they cried out to the Lord, He raised up for them a deliverer. And the land had peace for 40 years. Again, the cycle, if you come to verse 12, once again, the Israelites did evil and God handed them over. Look at verse 15. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer. The cycle continues. If you come to chapter 4, verse 5, this is Sisera's rule. He had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed Israelites for 20 years. This is when uh, a believer or a Christian goes into oppression. The 900 steel chariots or iron chariots is you are going from 
trouble into demonic oppression. Okay? He cruelly oppressed Israel for 20 years. And what does scripture say? They cried out to the Lord. And God raises up Deborah and Barak. Come to turn chapter 6. Verse 6. Midian, again they have been handed over to Midian. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And verse 7. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, verse 8, he sent them a, a prophet. So what is the lesson? When people turn away from God, God turns them over to their enemies. And if you look into their history, the shortest period of rebellion will be like, if you look in Judges, is like seven years. And most of their rebellion will last 20 years. At some point, the people had enough. And they would cry out for help. Like the prodigal son. Okay. The point is this. God never took any action on his own to rescue them until they cried out. Never did. He would sit there in his throne and watch them going through slavery. He never moved on their behalf until they cried out. This is because it is God who gave us the free will to choose. If we choose to turn away from God, He allows us to go away from Him. And He hands us over into the hands of the enemy. And you can be there in the most miserable situation and you may be God's child, but He will not move a single finger to help you until we choose to cry out to God. That's where prayer comes in. Understand? God does not lift a single little finger to help until God's people cried out in prayer. People can shot, let us say, the judgment of God through prayer, or people can lengthen the judgment of God through prayerlessness. And we just think, sit back and think God will do something, He won't. Until we get serious about our prayer life, nothing will happen. I'm not saying overall the will of God that has already been planned out before any of creation will not come to pass. It will come to God, but it will miss us. It will miss us. Okay, that will always come to pass. Because like we keep talking, God will always have a remnant who will pray. Okay. My prayerlessness does not mean somebody else is not praying. Okay, so God's overall overarching will will always come to pass. But one of the primary lessons you learn from the book of Judges. It's not that people turn their face away from God. They do evil. God hands them over. One of the primary lessons is that until they cry, God doesn't do anything. God doesn't do anything. Because that is the... In other words, God will not violate the sanctity of the free will He has given us. He will not violate if you chose that, that's your choice. You choose. 
You choose life, you choose death. You choose. God gives us that freedom. He gave us the freedom. He does not take it away. So even when you become a believer, it does not mean that he takes your freedom away. He does not take the freedom away. Second thing, if you notice over there, both in the book of Judges and the entire Bible and church history, when God's people cry in their slavery, God's answer has always been raising up leaders. Raising up leaders. God's answers are always not the way we think. Raises up leaders. These leaders were never perfect. But God still raised them up. And used them to lead the people to victory. You will always see imperfect leaders like if you want to call Abraham an imperfect leader. Isaac an imperfect leader. Jacob an imperfect leader. Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson. Peter, Paul, Luther, Wesley. Anytime, any age, God had leaders who led his people and they were not perfect leaders. Spiritual leadership, properly understood, is an answer to prayer and is a blessing to both Israel and to the body of Christ. The reason is we have to Understand how God answers. Otherwise, God answers our prayer and we don't see it. Because we not only have a question, we also have an answer with us. The answer should be this way. Okay? That's why in the book of Judges, Deborah, after the victory in her song, will say this in Deborah chapter, uh, Judges 5 and verse 2. The leaders took the lead in Israel. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The leaders took the lead in Israel. That the people offered them willingly. Willingly. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Yeah. Now what she's saying over there, when the leaders lead and the people follow, praise the Lord. Okay, sorry. When leaders lead and people follow, Every victory you will see over there is it happens that way. And God has put it that way. And God will not change his order. He will raise up leaders who will lead and he will look for people who will follow. Because that's the order of his kingdom. Okay. Deborah is singing this song after persuading Barak to lead. Let's think about it. What if there was no Deborah and Barak? That generation would have died as lost people. What if there was no Moses? The people would have gone back to Egypt and back to slavery. Remember, always. What if there was no Joshua and Caleb? The second generation would have died in the wilderness. All. What if a Catholic priest called Martin Luther did not rise up and he looked at all the, the falsehood of the Catholic Church and decided to stand alone and be that leader? And a few people at that time decided to follow him. We wouldn't have what is today called the Protestant Reformation movement and all the churches, Protestant churches, an offshoot of that. Okay. You look at that. None of them were perfect. 
But this is the primary way God leads. So understand why these things are in, important is if you don't understand how God works, we will not see how God answers. And because we are not able to see how God answers, we lose hope and therefore we lose our prayer life. Our prayer life just dies away. The answer is there right there sometimes staring before our face. But because we do not understand God, therefore we don't see his answer. Answer. We just, okay. Just like God's answer was Gideon. But when they said, when he said all those who are fearful, go away, 22,000 just went away. They didn't see the answer. And one of the reasons they did not see the answer was because they looked at Gideon and said, my gosh, this is a fearful guy. But they did not see God's ways, that this is the guy God has chosen. They just went away and was never part of God's plan and God's victory in that generation. They just walked away. They, they experienced the fruit of that victory, but they were never part of the victory. So please remember, in eternity it really matters. We can enjoy the fruit of the victory and never be part of the victory over there. And there everything is given to those who are part of the victory. So, why I am bringing this is because, like I said, one of the most neglected part of a Christian's life is his prayer closet, the empty place. It's always empty. God is there, man is not there. Okay, because we don't understand how God... Like, let me ask, we will come to that later. If you actually go into your prayer closet and God answers every prayer of yours every day, my God, you would be in your prayer closet all the time. You wouldn't get out of it. You come to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday and every desire of your heart, you go there and you hear it and you receive it. Why would not leave church? Well, the fact is that it's because we don't understand God and we don't understand His ways. Okay, so understand how God answers prayers. But when you come to leadership, okay, one of the primary purpose of leadership is to lead in prayer. Leadership. I'm not talking about public prayer. I'm not talking about public prayer. I'm talking about, because public prayer is not the very important thing in the kingdom. The public prayer, like this prayer meeting, is not what is so important in the kingdom. What is important in the kingdom is our prayer in our prayer closet. That's what's very important, because only those who have that habit and have been forged by God in that secret place, when they come together in the public place, it's like the book of Acts. And there is power released and things start happening, okay? But till then, it's a preparation. Everything that is happening here is a preparation for you how to go into your prayer closet, into your private prayer place. That's why in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, if you look at it, what the disciples asked Jesus, the leader. Got it? What did they say? Teach us to pray. 
that that's the first thing a follower should ask the rabbi. Lord, teach us to. It's not that they did not have a prayer life, but they realized there was something wrong with their prayer life. There's something totally wrong with their prayer life. So they're asking him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Now, if you look at the parallel in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, the parallel over there in chapter 6, when Jesus says, if you read from verse 5, 5 and 7, 5 to 7. Yeah, somebody can read it. And when you pray, okay, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Okay. Now we leave the theology of it. That's not what we are looking at right now. We are looking at it. You know, in that two verses or three verses, if I'm right, three times or four times, Jesus doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. So it's not an option. It's not an option. So if you are not praying, then uh, I will actually doubt whether you are a believer. Like if you are not breathing, that means you are dead. Right? If you are not breathing, you are not dead. That's why the Bible says pray without ceasing because that is a natural effect of being born again. You pray. You pray. Okay. So he's not saying if you pray. He's saying when you pray. So if that is true, what is the first lesson? The first lesson is these lessons can be taught only to those who pray. These lessons cannot be taught to those who do not pray. So Jesus never taught this to the crowds. These are all being taught to the disciples. Lot of things which Jesus teaches, or most of the things which Jesus teaches, if you look at it, are lost in the church because the church has very few disciples. The issue is that we take what Jesus taught the disciples and try to teach the crowds. The crowds are not interested. Jesus very rarely taught the crowds. He taught the disciples. So even this, the first thing is there. This is to people. Is being the, How to pray is being taught to people who pray, have some kind of a prayer life. Whether fully right, half right, half wrong, semblance of it, whatever it is, they have a prayer life. Because the issue is, the same issue with our word, that most of the church, and I'm, take, I'm using the term universal, they leave both the word and prayer into the hands of a few. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God says these two, meditate upon my word day and night, learn to think, learn to think, okay, learn to think. Because unless we learn to think like God, you know, see, reading news and reading news are two different things. He can read news, and if you really don't understand politics, 
you don't understand what is happening. You are just reading somebody's opinion. Like, let me tell you about today's one news. One little news, how to read it. One news is that Mukesh Ambani and Kotak Mahindra has endorsed Milan Diora in South Mumbai. You read it, huh? Okay, TK. But you are not getting what it is. Milan Diora is a Congress candidate in Mumbai. And if Mukesh Ambani and Kotak Mahindra are endorsing him, they are sensing BJP will lose. They are sensing. So they are playing both sides, being careful. They are nobody is sure. But these guys, they know what is happening. Because it's their money that wins elections. Okay, that's how you read news. Otherwise, you're just reading somebody's opinion. Okay, so let's leave news aside. You have to learn how to pray. So the first thing, first thing is that when they saw Jesus, they realized there was absolutely something wrong with their prayer life. Absolutely wrong with their prayer life. So the first thing they ask him, teach us to pray. And the funny thing, remember those of who, few of us who were there, right with us when the church began, the first three Sundays, there was something we didn't do. What is that we do? We didn't take a... Instead, what did we learn? How not to? How not to give. Not how to give. How not to give. First three Sundays, God told you, don't take an offering. Teach your congregation how not to give. In the first same way, when they say, teach us to pray, the first thing Jesus teaches is how not to pray. It's not how to pray, how not to pray. The first thing he says, don't pray like hypocrites. Okay. So the question is, what makes a prayer hypocritical? A hypocritical prayer is an outward show to draw attention to oneself. And we can't help it. That's the nature of the fallen man. The fallen man cannot but project himself. Okay. So technically, all of us have that. To escape that, God says, pray in secret. Learn to pray in secret. God is not saying you should not pray in public. But he said, once you have learned to pray in secret, in secret, in secret, in secret. When once you get an opportunity to pray in public, you will realize your secret prayer and your public prayer, there's no difference. You're the same person. That's the issue. That's the issue. There's no difference at all. You have become the same person in secret and in public. Please don't misunderstand. God is not telling you not to pray in public. He's not. What God is trying to is to make us like him. He's one person. One person. Okay, one person. He's, he, he's not two persons. Not double-minded that way. What he's in secret is what he's in public. So he's, God is trying to teach us how to pray. So he says, first, don't worry about pastor calling you to pray. Don't worry about that. I will tell him. You don't worry about it. You continue to pray in secret. And then on one day, Sunday... I will tell him, call this one to pray. And when he calls you to pray, 
when you pray, it is not about what others are hearing or even about me hearing. That day, you will suddenly realize your prayer in public is exactly like your prayer in private. And you will suddenly realize, ah, you have allowed me to do a good work in you. That is the satisfaction of prayer. Because answers all come from God. The answer is not even in the satisfaction of getting an answered prayer. The satisfaction is, Lord, you have made me a little like you. That should be the answer of all prayer. That whom he has called, he has chosen for what? To be conformed to it. That is the whole purpose of salvation. Okay, so God says, this is the satisfaction you are going to get. Okay, so he says, don't worry about your prayer answers and all that. No, When will pastor call me? I've been coming for so many years and all that. Don't worry about any of those things. He says, don't worry. You just be faithful in your secret prayer closet. Just be faithful. Okay, what I'm trying to do, I'm teaching you how to pray and not be hypocritical. That's the first thing. Then if you go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7. Yeah. Do not heap empty phrases Mm. as the Gentiles do, Mm. for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Mm. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay. Pray then like this, Mm. our father in heaven. Yeah, okay, okay, six, yeah. Jesus says something of which version is that? Uh, this, yes, okay. Because KJV will use a word about vain. Vain repetition. Vain vanity. The, the actual root word of vain vanity from etymology, when you search what the word actually means, means to squeeze or mold or manipulate in a particular direction. Do you understand what God is trying to say? So there is something called vain prayer. And if you turn with me to Matthew 15, somebody, and read verses 7 to 9, you will see something else there. You hypocrites, Mm. well did Isaiah prophesy about you Mm. when he said, These people honor me with their lips, Mm. but their heart is far from me. Mm. In vain do they worship me. Ah, so there is a vain worship also. There is a vain prayer and there is a vain worship. Okay, please remember people are not irreligious. They are very religious. They are not irreligious. They are religious. Religious people don't pray. Religious people pray. So there is vain prayer and there is vain worship. What does it mean? It means drawing near to him with our mouth, honoring him with our lips, yet in our heart we are very far away. So he says, don't pray like that, pagans. What do they do? They worship, they pray, they give. Hypocrites worship. Hypocrites pray, hypocrites give, but it is all vanity. God is not the center, they are the center. Are you getting? Please don't think hypocrites don't pray. 
Don't ever think hypocrites don't worship. Don't think hypocrites don't even give. They give, they give sometimes generously. But in all that do, God is not the center. They are the center. That is vanity. Basically, what are they trying to do? They are in so many ways trying to squeeze or mold either God or public opinion towards them. And at the end of the prayer, they feel good when somebody says, wow, you are a prayer warrior. That was the whole objective, to be recognized as a person of prayer. And if they are not recognized, and they are upset, because the core was what? Was self, and it was not God. So God knows the nature of the fallen man. So he says, now that you are my child, and you are on the road to disciples, I want to save you from yourself. Save you from vanity. So he says, remember the fallen man, the center is self. The new born again man, the core is Christ. If you were there for the four days of VBS, you, know, you would have understood what he was also trying to teach about. It's all about God, it's not about us. It's all about us. Okay, now let me put it across in a simple way so that you understand. Okay, All of us. Today, when we came here, because it's a public setting, and Sunday, when we all come to church, head to toe, which part of our body do give the most careful attention before we step out? Face, right? Not toes. Face. Rest of the body and all, we very carefully cover. We are more worried about the covering than the body inside. We are very careful about the covering, not the body. But one part we are very, very careful about. What is that? The face. The face. Face, right? That part is very, very careful about. Now think about, as a church, who is the head? Christ. He's the face. He's the face. So in the natural self, we understand that when I'm going to public, I'm very careful about my face because how does the people, the public look at my face? So he says, as a body of Christ, wouldn't you should be very careful about the face? He's the face. I'm not the face. You're not the face. None of us are the face. He's the face. Okay. He says, so what he is trying to do is, he is trying to make us a part of the body of Christ. Now we want to be independent members, but there is nothing like that in the kingdom. We are all parts of the body. The head is Christ. So when Jesus came down onto the earth, he was very clear, my head is a father. I'm just the body. My head is a father. So he was very careful from the beginning till the end to project the face. So he says, if you see me, you see my father. But it's all about my father. It's not about me. It's all about my father. And now that he has projected the father and gone, the father is turning around and says, he is my face. And you project him. Okay. So what happens is that he says, in your prayer, in your worship, in your giving, in all these things, the old man will try to project himself. Project himself. And we have to be careful. His pagans repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Why do they keep repeating? Now let me tell you here, uh, let us say Zoe or Aman or... Uh, no, Joanna, any one of the little children who can talk, Sarah, okay? 
Sarah, one of these children says, Sarah comes to Derek or Rachel and says, Daddy, I want chocolate. Or I want ice cream. Daddy, I want ice cream. Daddy, I want ice cream. Daddy, I want ice cream. You think your father is there? No. Why do children keep repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over again? Because in the core of their prayer itself, it's not the father. It's not the father. It is self. I want ice cream. I want ice cream. That's basically that's repetition that's going in the mind. It's not about father. What does the father want me to have? What is good for me? Father, let you, will you know? Is ice cream? None of those bother them at all. Those things don't bother at all. Your mother can tell 20 times, no, you take ice cream, you'll get a sore throat, or your teeth will rot, and the dent. all that for two minutes. After that, they will say, give me ice cream. <laughs> it's okay. Why? At the core of it is who? It's neither the father's or the mother's will. It is his self-will. And God says, you need to realize, pagans, when they pray, they keep on repeating the same thing over and over again. It's not also because they don't think that God does not hear. They think God hears. But at the core, it's not their God. At the core, is they. The core is self. The core is self. Now, I'm not talking about good outside of us prayers. Praying for the salvation of others and all, which is just very, very fleeting in our prayers. We don't fast and for three days take leave and pray for the salvation of somebody. We don't do that. No, we will fast for promotion and all that, but don't ever think that uh, an average Christian will decide to fast for the salvation of somebody else. Then that is according to the will of God. I'm talking about actually what happens. That's what Jesus is talking about. The pagans repeat over and over again and the prayer is way. Vanity is connected with the self because the root meaning of vanity is trying to mold. That's why you have a vanity bag and that all those things is connected with the self because you are trying to mold a public opinion to your outer self and not your inner self. Basically that's what no, And Jesus was the only person who never tried to do that. That's why nothing is ever described about how Jesus looked, what he wore and all. Because crowds followed him, not because how he looked, but because of who he was. Okay? I'm not saying... Okay. So when God in the Bible asked some of his prophets to dress, what, what I would say, radically, it was to catch the people's attention. So you have all these Pharisees in long flowing ropes and John the Baptist standing with a camel skin. It was to draw the attention of the people. Don't listen to these people who are dressed in robing flocks. Listen to this fellow and to catch your attention so that you will hear him. I told him to dress differently. Okay. So you have to understand what God is actually trying to do with us. And verse 8 says, don't be like them because your father already knows what you need. So the question immediately asked is, if he already knows what I need, why pray? Okay, that's a question people actually ask. Matthew 6, 8, they ask. If my father already knows what I need, then why pray? Maybe Jesus is trying to tell us something else. That prayer is not so much about getting what I need. 
prayer is more of getting to know what God's will is. That's why he puts it over there. What if prayer is not about voicing my will? What prayer is about voicing his will? That's why first we are taught what kind of prayer is unacceptable to God. One of the main reasons people do not pray. I'm not saying when I say people do not pray, I'm not saying people do not pray. I'm talking about really prayer as a genuine, uninseparable part of their life, like pray without seeing, is because their prayer is self-centered. And they actually realize after praying for some time, God is not answering. So why pray? The fact is that God does not answer self-centered prayers most of the time. He doesn't. And people just tune off their prayer life. After that, that prayer they have is more like a discipline. Like all the churches you go, they will pray the Lord's Prayer without understanding head or foot of that prayer. So what exactly he told them not to do before that prayer, they do with that prayer. What did they tell? Don't babble like pagans. And everywhere around the world on a Sunday, people will babble like a pagan. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Without even meaning what they are saying or understanding what it means. So we have to look into then say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Your Father already knows what you need. God is says, one of the reasons people actually do not pray and they don't enjoy their prayer life is because their prayer life is always about self. And God is not a God who is not there to meet myself. One of the reasons people do not enjoy the word is because when they start reading the word and understanding the word, they realize the word is not about yourself. All these people who actually say, oh, the word is too long. Like I said, nobody ever said, oh, this movie is too long. (laughs) Or you go to all the star hotels, when you check in, you have breakfast free. Nobody ever complains and says, why is this buffet so long? Why did you make it simple for me? I don't know what to choose. <laughs> Nobody ever complains. You know why we struggle with two things primarily in the kingdom of God, two most important things, the ministry of prayer and the ministry of word, is because both these are not focused on the self. Not focused on the self. the reason we struggle with our prayer life. We struggle with our prayer life is because after some time, we are very self-centered and we realize prayer, if it is self-centered, God is not going to answer. Second thing, we also realize in the 21st century, most of the needs of myself, I can handle it without God. (laughs) Money is the answer. If I have money, 99.99% of my needs are met. So why pray? 
Why pray? Sadly, the only thing you cannot buy is salvation. If there was one area where God said, you can buy salvation, we would have made that also a reason to why pursue money. You remember in the, the Middle Ages, in the Catholic Church, why the sale of indulgence was at a period for long period in church history, the greatest amount of money that was coming into the church of a box. You see Notre Dame which got burned down and all these huge, huge, massive churches built in the Europe and Britain and all during those days. You know how it was built? Much of the money? It came through the sale of indulgences. You know what it is? It means Shravan is here. And Shravan has already decided next week what to sin. But you can buy forgiveness today for tomorrow's sin. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. Forgiveness can be bought. The church found a very, because they, they just twisted one thing which Jesus told these apostles. If you forgive sins, it will be forgiven. So the church said we can, we have the power to forgive sins. We can buy it. Remember when he is sending his disciples yes. out, he breathed over them, if you forgive, I will forgive. But he is putting them in the place of people set apart, Holy Spirit filled, the Father's heart, who will withhold and forgive. He is using that. But the church realized this is a very good way to make money. And so all these cathedrals, when they get burned up, don't get agonized. They were built on blood money. The blood of innocent people were fooled by the leadership. And some of these cathedrals need to be burned down. Because God never built a building. He was building a people. Ignorant people. Bible was kept away from them. They were not allowed to have the Bible. If you were caught with the Bible, the penalty was death. Because people would read. That's why Martin Luther was a priest. God had to use a priest within the system who had access to the Bible, who read his Bible and was convicted saying that what I am preaching is wrong. What is being taught is wrong. The Bible is true. And then he nailed down his thesis over there. And then he translates the Bible into German. Then Gutenberg comes, the printing press, and the first set books that are printed are is the Bible. And now they have to protect the Bible from being caught by the church and being burnt. Imagine history. The church is after all the Bibles that are being printed, spies, soldiers, police, the state is being involved. For what? To finally get upset when Hindus burn our Bibles without realizing the church did it first. All over Europe, the church, the fathers, the spies were out to see where the Bibles were going. Ships are being checked. Boats are being checked. You have to read history. What to see? The Bible doesn't reach the hand of the common man. Because if he reaches, he will read. And if he reads, he is saved. And if he is saved, then you lose control. He understands the kingdom of God is real. And this is something false. So God is always trying to make us something true. And not something that is false. So there is vain prayer. There is way in giving. There is way in worship. There is way in service. There is all these things way. Because what is it? Outwardly it may look the same or better. But at the center of it is what? Self and not God. And God wants to save ourselves from ourselves. So he says, I want to teach you how to save you from yourself. Do it in secret. Consistently do it in secret. Over and over and over and over and over and over until it becomes part of your discipline. And then it doesn't matter if somebody congratulates you or doesn't. Somebody says good, 
all that. It does not affect you because you are doing it for me. You're not doing it for others or not even doing it for yourself. You're doing it for me. That's what he's trying to And that's our main struggle with the word of God too. Because when we read the word of God, people are very smart. Like Judas, they're very, very smart. They understand the word of God and realize, if I really believe this end of my life, the beginning of his life, that is okay. When I come there, you live right now. Let me live here. So, these two areas are where we primarily struggle. Therefore, Jesus only teaches disciples. Those who left everything to follow him. Okay, I'm not saying that you should, like Pastor me, me and Pastor Vijay, leave everything to follow. I'm not talking about But in your heart, you should have passed that sentence. You should listen carefully to Pastor Cyril, um, Brother Cyril teaching yesterday. He said in John chapter 13, and if I'm right, he said 34. I didn't cross check. At 34, Judas left. Took the piece of the Last Supper. And he left. And the devil entered him. And from 13 all the way to 17 and all is Jesus teaching very important, intimate things after he has left. Because there was one rotten disciple in the midst. He allows him to leave and then he teaches. Because there is a little he will leave somebody like Judas who left everything to follow him. But there are certain things he won't teach him too because he knows where he's going. So our, like, Remember when he began the VBS, he said that knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That is real understanding. But God is not ever going to reveal himself to any man, woman or child who doesn't surrender. He won't do that. Okay. So this multiplicity of Bible studies is not going to change us. Multiplicities of prayer meetings is not going to change us. The first thing that is needed is surrender. And if we have not surrendered, it is a continuous process. But somewhere you have to begin. And daily you have to surrender. When that really happens, because you need to realize, understanding, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, all are there. But primary way which God shows himself is revelation. That's why Paul says, give us the spirit of revelation. He has to reveal himself. He can shut eyes, he can open eyes. He can close minds, he can open minds. So revelation is key. And he does not reveal, like he put it across so beautifully from Genesis 12, if you listen carefully, right? God said, Abraham obeyed, God appeared. God says, you obey, God appears. Our problem is God has said so many things to us. But that's, leave all that. One thing, one thing. Everybody's life, one thing God will say. One thing. What is that keeps on repeating in your mind from scripture? Constant. I'm not talking from the word. From scripture. Something you have heard keeps on going. It's one thing you have to obey before you receive your next revelation. And without revelation, life becomes boring. See, marriages become interesting only if you want to know each other. If you don't want to know each other, marriage is boring. The interesting part of a marriage is that you continue to know each other. But if you are not interested in each other and your attention is diverted all around the world, then marriages become boring. It's just going on because of society. And the same thing happens to a Christian. 
the joy of salvation is in knowing him. Not about where you are going. Otherwise, heaven also will be a boring place. Because heaven is full of the knowledge of God. <laughs> How boring. If you are not interested in God here. Right? That's why God puts marriage in terms, uh, salvation in terms of a marriage. And our basic issue with all married couples sitting over here, the basic issue with marriage is boredom. It's boredom. That's why English has very clearly put that term when there is no boredom in marriage as honeymoon period. When you are not bored. God does not have a honeymoon period with man. It's not bo- That's exactly what he says. The thoughts that I have towards you cannot be counted. Think about it that way. If you thought about your wife or your wife thought about you that way. Would you be fighting? And yet when there are conflicts sometimes in a marriage, one partner is actually thinking that way and the other one is not. And that's where the conflict rises. And all the other fights are just symptoms. Of that major issue. You don't think about me. I think about you all the time. But I am not getting any attention from you. And that's exactly what God is saying. I think about you all the time. Your face is before me all the time. In my eyes you are always on my shoulder. Not even on the ground. But you don't even think about me. When you come to the prayer closet. You are just like a child. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Okay, take it. That's why in the book of God. The gospel of Ephesians according to John. The only thing John has to tell the children. Is children flee idols. And idols are manifested to the self. What do I want? That's a child. You ask any one of this child. You look at this. The idols keep on changing. You can change their idols very easily from a pen to a pencil to a mobile. You can keep on changing. A child's mind is only self and idolatry. And you don't realize church is full of childish Christians. Self and idolatry. And God says, first let me teach you how not to pray. How not to pray. Much of this, what? that's why you know, fasting and prayer, people think, why there is so teaching, so much teaching is so that we really, really go into the prayer closet. After three and a half years of teaching, 40 days post-resurrection teaching, Jesus got 120 people to pray. Finally, 120 people to pray. Jesus himself. Forget others. How many people did he get? Raising people from the dead, feeding thousands, stilling storm, healing sick, casting. After all these magnificent works, he got 120 people who were ready to pray. According to the will of the Father. 120 people to pray. After all this teaching. That's the desire of God. After all this teaching, God will get a set of people who will pray. That's the purpose of the teaching. So God is saying, teaching his disciples, they come and say, teach us to pray. They are not getting it. They are only seeing the manifestation of the power, but they are not getting it. So they say, teach us to pray. The first thing he teaches them to pray is how not to pray. And after that, when he comes, come to verse 9. Matthew 6 and verse 9. He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in 
heaven. What is he saying there? First thing he says is, align your heart, your mind, and your will to that of God. That's how you begin. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Did you see? It is. It will take a lifetime to get used to this. It's one day's prayer and all day's prayer. Lord, I just get distracted. My mind, my heart, my will from your name, your kingdom, your will. Some more other when I start praying, I begin with this intention when I start pr- praying, it becomes my name, my will, my kingdom. Lord, save me from myself. Thy kingdom, thy will, thy name. When you're asking for a promotion, whose name is it? My name. Now, otherwise, why don't you ask, Lord, my needs are this, I need extra money. Why do you ask for a promotion? These are two different things, right? Promotion is connected with a name. That's why IT companies are so good. They give you wonderful titles and same salary. They know. So the first thing when he teaches us now how to pray, the first thing if you really understand is prayer is not self-fulfillment. Prayer is self-denial. Thy thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Not self-fulfillment, but self-denial. And even the greatest praying people in the Bible stumbled at some point over this. Great prayer warriors in the book of James, who is put across as the great prayer warrior. Elijah, right? Look at 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 4. Great prayer warrior who is in the book of James. We are told to pray like him. Elijah. Elijah. And now read 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 4. First Kings chapter 19 verse 4. What does Elijah pray? But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Excellent. It looks like, wow, he's separating himself. He's going into the wilderness. And then? And came and sat down under a broom tree. Came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying. And he asked he might? Die. Die. Saying, say, it is enough now, Lord. It is enough now, Lord. Take away my life. Take away my life. No better than my life. No better than this. Then how his prayer life becomes? Because things did not happen the way he wanted. His will. And he said, I, I, I just want to die. I don't want to serve you anymore. I just want to die. Take me. This is the man we are told. Elijah was a man just like us. The fervent, effectual prayer of a Righteous man availeth much. All that is true. But remember how his prayer life ended. He broke. Because that's the nature of the fallen man. Even when we pray for the absolutely right things of God, we see for some glory of self in it. And when we don't get it, our prayer life dies. He said, I just want to die. want to die. Remember two prophets who prayed to die? One was another one was Jonah. 
He looked and he saw an entire city repenting and coming to the Lord. He said, Lord, I just want to die. <laughs> this is not, I prayed and I preached, but this is not what the result I wanted. See, some of the, some of the things which God asks us to pray, it doesn't mean it will happen that way. But he is asking us to pray, not for the other, but for our own sake. What does he say? Pray for your? Pray for your? Enemies. Why does he say pray for you? You really want your enemies blessed? It's for our sake, to see that we deny ourselves. It's not for their sake. Even their self comes in, I'm praying for an enemy, so I'm believing Lord that he will be touched and he will be saved and then he will come and tell me sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like that really happens. Instead he gets two promotions and two cards. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you see how much self is caught in this? Look at all the people, Good Friday, right? Look at all the people standing beneath the cross. The Pharisees, all these people. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Did that mean they accepted Christ after his resurrection? No. They didn't. They didn't accept him. They didn't change it. Didn't he, do you think he didn't know? He knew. But he didn't change his prayer life. He didn't change his prayer life. So we struggle with our prayer life. Honestly. So he is teaching us how to pray. He is teaching us how to pray because prayer is not self-fulfillment. Prayer is ultimately self-denial because today all the prayer that is being taught, name it, claim it, all is self-fulfillment and crowds throng those churches. The word is about them. The prayer is about them. Everything is about them. Hardly anything is about God. And you change and turn to the real gospel and the gospel is about Christ. Worship is about Christ. Prayer is about Christ. Everything is about Christ. And we struggle. We squirm in our seats like when is this going to end? When is this going to end? When is this going to end? This is torture. Why? Because self is not being pleased. I asked last pastor's conference, not here at this thing. I said, look, I can understand people's who I said, you are all pastors, right? I said, I have an issue. When pastors come for the word and look at their watch, I really have an issue. You are people who gave your time for God, right? And what is being preached here is the word, right? And why are you looking at your watch? What important thing you have to do on a Monday morning? Monday is anyway off day for pastors. And breakfast is also being served. So what is a busy thing over here? So judge your own hearts. Judge your own hearts. I said, congregation is one thing. Leadership is another thing. I said, you leadership, you struggle with the word, you will never pray, you can never sit alone for two hours. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And God is saying a set of potential leaders will arise. But potential leaders will arise, their lives are defined in secret in their prayer life and their word life. That is how God chooses people. He said, many are called. Everybody is called. Very few are chosen. Very few are chosen. And that's what God is talking about. This is what you see with prophets in the Bible. Struggling. Incredible prayer life. And then self came and they said, take my life. I want to die. 
Because prayer is not about changing God to see, to make him see my way, but me changing to see God's way. And it is also a continual process. That's why you should never cease praying and never cease meditating. Because the more you meditate and more you pray, actually your entire perspective will start changing. Entirely start changing. Entirely will start changing. And your life becomes, towards the end of your life, there is more calmness. You are not struggling to convince people. You are not struggling to serve people because you realize God's ways are not like that. Like you think about First Timothy, Second Timothy, Paul's last two letters, sitting in a prison, after that he is dead. But if you look at 2000 years of human history, all the great men of God were framed by those two letters, written by a man sitting in prison and writing. Didn't you understand these two letters will make history? And if he hadn't surrendered to the will of God and be allowed to be in that position and then see the will of God and write these two letters, would we have Bible colleges today? Would we have Bible students today, disciplined men of God for 2000 years? Because one man understood. I need to surrender and understand the ways of God and not look at God's work through my ways. Our issue is that, that's why we stop, because the self, self itself becomes a block. In Elijah's case, he didn't, he wanted the result in a particular way, and when it didn't happen, he said, I want to die. Jonah too was sitting there, he preached a message, he didn't want anybody getting saved, and when people got saved, he was upset. He also wanted to die. So the first thing God says is, align. Align your will to my will, your mind to my will, my kingdom and not your kingdom. Teach us to pray. It's very difficult to pray actually if you understand. But if you start learning how to pray, it becomes easier and easier and easier. Because often we come to God with our prayer expecting Him to listen. Instead of us being instructed in prayer. Right? That's why we have this long prayer list. That's okay. In a church, five minutes, we pray. That's okay. That's all it's needed. That's a daily bread. Five minutes is enough. We don't need 15 minutes. People make a mistake of making that into an intercession. That's not an intercessory place. That should be in your prayer closet. That is a specific need. Some men mention it and say, what you can't remember, Lord, you remember. I just surrender it. As a church, we come together, pray. Three minutes, that's enough. He only gave one line, daily bread. That's all. That happens. You know it by faith. Two minutes or three minutes are needed only because you have a life in your prayer closet. God is teaching us the power of the prayer closet, the power of a prayer life. Because we are forever trying to change God and not allowing the prayer closet to change us. And then you... Read that prayer again. Go back to the Lord's Prayer. Our, our Father who art, we don't have to go, we know it, right? Okay. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. Give, give, forgive, lead us, deliver us. Did you see? There's nothing selfish there. He says, when you pray, 
is a prayer of unity, recognizing the body. Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. It is not my Father, give me, forgive me, lead me, deliver me. Never ever forget you are only part of the body. That's where unity comes. That's why Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. And if that unity hadn't come in ten days, they would have waited more. But he knew it had come, they had become one. One accord, one mind. They realized they were one body. That's why I always say fasting and prayer. Everybody doesn't have to come. It doesn't bother me at all. Because the purpose of this, more than the church ministry, the purpose of this is to forge one body. One body. Give us. Our Father who art in heaven. This is how you need to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from. Okay. So what is God is saying? You are praying for only about your temptation. But you are not praying for other people who are struggling. You are praying only for the deliverance of your and your children. You are not delivering, praying for somebody else's children. But you are part of the body. You still haven't become one. You are very conscious about your needs or your family's needs, but you are not conscious about their needs. That's what happened in the book of Acts. After the church began, they baptized. Suddenly everybody was conscious. Right? They were very conscious about the need. They realized they were one body. One body. Realize they were one body. Okay? That's what God is talking about. The problem is, like we say, the three thorns, remember? In uh, the, what you call it? In the parable about the, the sower, Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. 4, 18 and 19. That's where we are caught in. An average Christian life is caught there. The, the word is sown. What does it say? Uh, and others are the ones among, sown among thorns. Thorns. Okay, three thorns are mentioned over there. They, they are those who hear the word. Mm. But the cares of the world. The cares of the world. Deceitfulness, of deceitfulness of riches. The desire for, for other things. All three are connected with self. Choke it. All three are connected with self. Now, if you are burdened with the cares of others, and you are really asking for money to help others, and your desire for things is to give it away, God has no issues. There will be a constant supply which will come and go. Because God knows He can trust you. But when the self comes in, God says, these are the thorns, three thorns that choke your life. Choke your life. And though we have God as our father, our prayer life is never able to go forward where we are not able even to decipher what God's will is for us. The saddest true story of most Christians will enter in heaven without ever recognizing what God's will for them was. Because they are not able to go through that first phase. Our Father who art heaven, hallowed be thy name. It was never about his name. 
just about our name. And that's what God is talking about. His name, one body. So Jesus changes the entire perspective about our prayer. He says the focus is on our heavenly father and his heavenly kingdom and his heavenly will. Prayer does not begin with earth. Prayer begins with heaven. It does not begin with man. It begins with God. It is not man's need. It is God's need. Not in the sense God has a need, but God's need. It is not about bringing earth to heaven. It is bringing heaven to earth. Much of our prayer is spent in trying to get God involved in our agenda, our plans, our goals, our cause, our needs, real or imagined. And we just go through, so that we are not saved. We begin and end up in the kingdom of God as a child. So that's what children do. These children sitting over there, they have only one agenda. That is me and myself. Even if they say, about their father, they will say, Na, Papu. <laughs> it is me and myself. They have no patience. Why do they have, why do we don't expect any patience from them? Because they only think about themselves. We don't realize people who are saved in the kingdom of God are never able, when God says, stretch your boundaries, even then it is self, I want to stretch my boundaries. But he's not saying, he's saying including more and more and more and more people and his agenda into your life. That's why the prosperity gospel sells so well. Why do you think it sells so well? And if the prosperity gospel actually produces results, then who's answering those prayers? And Jesus said, this is how you need to pray. Your father, his will, his kingdom. Take up your cross, follow me. And yet you have one set of people who are asking, my will, my kingdom, my need, my desires, I'm naming it, I'm getting it. Who is answering those prayers? You have to ask this question. Who is? I don't know. Is it God who is answering or the God of this world? So the question always is that if you listen to our prayer and you listen to what Jesus taught, who is Lord, who is servant? In my prayer, who is Lord? And who is servant? Actually, if you look at an average Christian's prayer, he is the Lord and God is the servant. I need this, I need this, I need this for my wife, I need this for my children, I need this for my office, I need this, I need this. In Jesus' name, thank you. Answer it. Who is Lord? Who is servant? God is not telling us not to pray for our needs. He's not saying that. He says you need to pray. What is that? You have two needs. One is the need for your body and the other is the need for your soul. You need daily provision and daily forgiveness. We need daily provision, daily forgiveness. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. And forgive us. Are you getting it? That's what God is talking about. He says, do you see how you pray? And then he puts out these two stumbling blocks that will come from us fulfilling God's plan. Once you have come through this, that stage, he says, two very things, remember. First thing is, 
Lead me not into? Why? Why? Why we pray that prayer? Because if you are not tempted, you cannot sin. And if you don't sin, God's plan doesn't stop in your life. So the root, he says, don't go to the fruit. The root is temptation. So the prayer of the daily child of God is, Lord, don't allow me to go to places where I get tempted. Into those places where. You know me better than I know you. So I don't know what these places are like. Then suddenly you will answer why you get this job and you don't get that job. Lord, I got this job, but the salary is so less and that one I was hoping to get salary. He says, because that area I know you will fall and here you won't fall and you prayed, lead me not into temptation. And I answered your prayer. So be glad. Because your provision anyway comes from me. Are you praying for a salary or are you praying for protection? As parents, we all made this mistakes praying for that college and that university instead of praying for our children, lead them not into temptation. And deliver them from the power of the evil one. We didn't understand what the prayer meant. What is primary for as a parent for the child? What is the primary thing? It is not education. It is not success. Lord, let him not go into temptation. Deliver him from the power of the evil one for self and for others. That is the primary prayer. Because he is not looking at the axis not laid at the branches. The axis laid at the root. And the root is temptation. Temptation is an issue. <coughs> Each one, common and special. God alone knows. And God alone knows where this temptation, the snare fellow, the fowler is waiting with his snare. So you say, Lord, I don't know where I am going, so please lead me, Lord. Let me not go to those places. I surrender daily, Lord. Stop me, stop me, stop me. <laughs> Men of God become radical in their prayer. Finally, they say, Lord, break me if I am going that way. Accident is fine. I'd rather lie in the hospital with a broken leg than go to hell with a broken leg. That's what he's talking about. The radical nature of prayer because your agenda is the kingdom's agenda, the king's agenda, the king's will. That's what he's talking about. So he's telling the teachers to pray. When we go back and ask ourselves today, you know, we'll pray for a little while, but we'll pray more in terms of surrender. Right? Surrender. That's what, that's what happened today, right? The day before actually, before he was crucified. Even there he was asking, Lord, if there is another way, let's have it. And the father said, there is no other way. You have to go to the cross and said, it's fine. Let your will be done and not my will. Three times he asked. They always say a saint who hears from God will ask only three times for one need. He won't ask more than that. Because he has already heard, learned to hear from God. Unless it's a spiritual battle where you are fighting it for it to break through. That's a different thing. I'm talking about he knows personally in his areas certain things you don't ask more than three times. Three times he asked, three times father said no. Three times Paul asked, three times God said no. He said it's fine. The rest of my life I will live with it. Because they have come to that point of hearing and knowing God's will very clearly. And they will not allow anything of the self to come inside. Okay. So you see the beginning of his prayer and you see how he goes in that prayer life. We will do all these you know, stations of the cross with no station in our life at all. All the drama we do. You know, not even understanding what the gospel is all about. It is not about you and me. Like the four days of VBS. It is not about you and me. It is about Christ. 
when I am just a minute little speck in Christ, if you and I are saved, look out the billions who will make it into heaven. We are all in Him. We are just a speck. Like people, saints have said in all this universe, earth is only a speck. And in that speck, I am only a speck. Who are you, Lord? I am that you are mindful of me. Who am I? In the same way, we are only one dot in the body of Christ. The head is him. The face is him. And it's all about him. And if you don't get it and constantly use this prayer, not as a pagans use it, but as a model of surrender. It's an incredible prayer if you really look at it. Incredible prayer. Because this prayer actually results in the preeminence of Christ in our lives. This prayer. Actually, the purpose of this prayer is Christ is preeminent in every area of our life. And that's why the Bible is talking about because we struggle with idolatry. Idolatry. We struggle with idolatry. But the problem with idols is that idols cannot satisfy Idols cannot satisfy. Why is that if you look in Christendom, the maximum number of people who fell away are worship leaders? Worship leaders. Because idolatry doesn't satisfy. Idolatry doesn't satisfy. Smooth-talking pastors are after idolatry. Because they know if they preach stuff, people won't listen. They will leave. But they, they deep is self and idolatry. Though are smooth-talkers. And worship leaders, because if they are very, very, very talented, the issue is they receive part of it. And before you know, they fall away. That is why we have to be very, very careful, because inside all of us that idol called self. Idol called self. And one of the primary ways of allowing idol to be broken is that secret place. And God says, do this in secret. Do this in secret. Do this in secret. Pray in secret. Fast in secret. Give in secret. Do it all in secret. Consistently do in secret. Until it becomes a discipline. Discipline not of the physical discipline of doing things. No. The internal discipline of receiving no glory. And no appreciation. No appreciation. That your joy is that you are doing it for your master. Internal discipline. And it's a real struggle for a season. And after that it becomes easy. And that's where we are caught in. That's where we are caught in. And that's where the secret prayer life is so more important than the public prayer. So sick. So this they teach us to pray. And first Jesus teaches them. He says, do not pray this way. Do not pray this way. Don't be a hypocrite. Let your prayer not be vain. Let your worship not be vain. Okay? Let it not be way. And all our struggles are connected with that. And one of the reasons people will fall away from faith is because a time will come, God will stop the self being fed. He said, that's it. That's it. You've been a child for 10 years now. That's it. No more answer to any more prayer. And they leave. They leave. No more answer. I'm not here to feed self. I'm here to feed Christ. My son. I said in my word, my son will receive preeminence in all things. In all things. You have to be very, 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 very careful. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, 
have the heart of Martha. She served Jesus the first time in the house we see. And she was very upset because she felt Mary was getting all the attention. And Jesus quietly, nicely rebukes her. The next time you see her, she is serving quietly. Second time also it is written she served. No hangama now. No upset. Nothing at all. She realized this is all about him and not about me. That can you serve him without being pointed out, without a selfie? <laughs> can you be? Can you keep on? Consistently can you keep on serving? That is the key. It's not serving. Consistently keep on serving. It's nobody ever saying thank you to you. Nobody ever recognizing your contribution to the company. Because recognition is there. It's not that you will never be recognized. God says there is an incredible day of recognition coming. Imagine if one of you is called by name. And in, in the interesting part of heaven is that everybody will recognize everybody. From Adam onwards, everybody will know who you are. Because there is nothing secret there. That's why the rich man knows Abraham and calls him Abraham father. Though they are separated by 4,000 years, he knows who Abraham is. Okay, so there is name recognition there. And suddenly imagine, Tanishk, the angel really, and you receive five billion voices and how many billion angels and the Lord himself saying, well done. See, there is recognition there. It's not that there is no recognition. But he, what he's saying is that all who are recognized here and who are running for recognition here will not be recognized there because you already received your reward. I'm not saying you can't help it if somebody recognizes you. I'm not saying, you know, I'm saying where you're going around. Going, how was my sermon today? How was it? Uh, very encouraged. <laughs> going around, no? <laughs> Tomorrow, Sunday is resurrection Sunday with resurrection lunch. Did you like the dessert? Yeah, I thought, ah, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Different ways people will ask it. Did you taste that mint in that cake? Ah, I was wondering. <laughs> Rachel baked it, but I gave her the mint. So the mint was mine. You know how people struggle for recognition? And it begins from childhood. Let a four or five year old child do something in the house. I'm Promise you when the father comes in, it will declare I did this. I have done this today. See, I did it. I did it. It begins, because self is very strong in a child. And the sad thing is that we constantly keep on edging that self. Oh, a very greatest baby in the world. Smartest baby and all for saying this is your duty. You are supposed to do it. That's what Jesus taught. We are feeding the self, constantly feeding the self. And Jesus never did. He taught them very, very carefully. After everything is done, what do you think? The master should shut down and feed the servant. No, the servant should, it was our duty. I worked the whole day and I am still waiting for the master to come back and I will feed him. And then only I will go because this is my duty. This is what I am supposed to do. So, while glorifying God and worshipping God, that's my duty. Serving God is... Our duty. Praying is our duty. Worship is our duty. God is not getting anything out of this. We are getting a lot out of this. 
the end result is not with God. God is not more glorified by my worship. <laughs> Nobody can add or subtract from his glory. But I receive. If my worship is genuine, I am set free even more. It's all connected to liberty. It's all connected to liberty. He says, if you really serve me in spirit and truth, you are more free. It's connected to freedom. You are really able to enjoy your salvation because you are a free man. I liked a couple of things to realize. Immediately I was writing it down because you always look for those things which are like he said, no? The only one who was not a slave in Potiphar's palace was Paul, uh, was Joseph. He was a free man among slaves because he was serving Christ. The only one who was not a prisoner in that prison was Joseph. He was a free man in the prison because he was serving Christ. Always think in your companies, are you free or are you bound? If you are serving your company, you are bound. And you are upset with your company, you are upset with the timings, you are upset with your salary, you are upset with the AC, you are upset with the food that is given free, you are upset with everything because your company is your master. But Christ is the focus. Then the prison is a good place to serve. Very good place to serve. Because when you signed in to this kingdom, you chose to to serve anywhere. When people join the army, they don't choose their posting. They don't choose their posting. When they sign, they can be sent anywhere to home posting or Kargil. Anywhere. Siachen. Anywhere. You can come back alive or come back dead. You don't choose your posting. We also have to see in that terms, we signed into this kingdom. When he signed in to serve him, we didn't choose our post. We said, anywhere, Lord. The day of glory is coming. day of glory is coming. That's what God is talking about. The day of incredible glory is coming. It's not that all this is waste. No, it's not a waste. It's not a waste. Incredible day of glory is coming. But he says, keep your perspective right. When you pray during this season, because young ones and all, you have holidays, summer vacation, you can't even go out. You get bored, you will get a heat stroke. So stay inside and pray. So much on your hand, time on your hand the next 40 days. Really got time on your hand. No, Let your closet define you. Your prayer closet define you. Spend time with God, honestly with God. Shut down all the other things. I'm telling you honestly, if you really, really get to know God, really need to get to know God and understand the ways of God, I'm telling you, you really will be able to enjoy music and movies. And will be able to put away the other things because you will realize this is not right. With a lot of gadgets and colors and this thing, they are actually selling a lie. And you're not really able to enjoy it. You will be, God doesn't, like what he said, God doesn't, it's not a joy killer. You will be really able to enjoy all the things which God gives, including food, including food, including water. That's why I ask my mother, every time I have gone to Kerala, the first thing we do is go down, draw the water from the well and drink it because you can taste water. Outside those places, you don't even know what's the taste of water. It's all chemicals and whatever, but when you drink the well water, you will realize, oh my God. This is what I taste like. That's why even when he was running, David told his servants, oh, I remember that well water in Bethlehem. And they cut through the enemy, risking their life, and they bought him a jar. And he looked and said, you risked my life to satisfy, not my thirst. 
my desire. He said, boy, he cannot drink this. He says, it's an offering to the Lord. Just not his thirst, just his desire. Desire. That's what God is talking about. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desire. Our desires change. We'll really start enjoying. People think that people who are separated to God lead such boring lives. And why is it so difficult to drag them from the prayer closet if it is so boring? Why is it so difficult to drag them from the Bible if it's such a boring book? Think about it. You see people, they say, I don't want to come. No, it's the best movie in town. You go, I am not coming. What are you doing? I'm just sitting at home. Doing what? Reading my Bible. Are you crazy? No, you are crazy. You are crazy. You haven't understood what enjoyment is. You see the fountain of enjoyment? But we don't enjoy our prayer closet because we are going with self. And it doesn't feed self. So we come out unhappy. But if you go into a prayer closet for Him, to be fed of Him, we actually will like our time with God. We'll start enjoying our time with God. Enjoying our time with God. That's what God is talking about. This life is not about you and me. It's about Him. But, when you find Him and enjoy Him, we'll actually start liking our life. Start liking our life. I like my life. It's cool. And it's got nothing to do with anything. It's got to do with that person you are learning to enjoy. That's why everything is put in terms of a marriage. Life is put, God puts across salvation in terms of a marriage. And that's why marriage is the biggest struggle people face. All the complaints are basically connected with marriage. I'm talking to unmarried people too. Don't worry, when you get married, your complaints will come. <laughs> because you don't realize what it is all about. And God says you learn it all in your prayer closet. Amen?